0: Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic's part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page, and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. This episode is brought to you by Many Tricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit ManyTricks or oneword.com Pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. We'll talk more about them during the show. I'm your host, John Chidgy, and today I'm joined by Vic Hudson. How's it going, Vic?
1: Good, John. How are you? I'm doing better.
0: How much do you know about um Elon musk and some of his side projects
1: uh mainly just uh like the highlights that they reach the news i don't follow him too closely or anything
0: do you follow him on twitter at all
1: uh i don't think so i can check real quick if you'd like
0: no that's just curious um uh, i was just um one of the things is i thought it would be interesting um uh, to do a couple of episodes that that focus on some of the different things that Elon Musk is working on because I feel like um, in a world that, where Steve Jobs is no longer with us, uh, mm-hmm. entrepreneurially speaking, I think Elon Musk is one of the big names of people that are, you know, stepping outside the box, doing stuff that's a bit out there, and yeah, there's a whole bunch to talk about, but. I go. I wanted to kick it off with two of his more recent and unusual side projects. So, I mean, obviously, Elon Musk is the the man behind uh, Tesla and SpaceX. Mm-hmm. But more recently, he's been messing around with tubes and boring stuff, which.
1: <laughs> Soap, not vacuum tubes.
0: No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so have you have you ever heard of this thing called Hyperloop? I have. So how would you describe Hyperloop exactly?
1: Um, well, from what I understand, which is probably very little because I haven't dug too deep into it, I've just heard a, a few casual conversations about it. It's going to be sort of like a, a an enclosed little bullet train system
0: yeah, pretty much bullet ta- bullet tra- bullet train in a tube yeah um so oh,
1: so it is a vacuum tube. I can't-
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. You're right. I'm sorry. Silly me. Quite right. Um, so, in July of 2012, Elon Musk mentioned in a, uh, a Pando Daily event, he was thinking about a fifth mode of transport, and later he called that Hyperloop. And um, the idea is that you build a hollow tube, most likely made out of steel, and then mm-hmm. you, you remove as much of the air as you can from the tube, and it creates a partial vacuum. It's not a full vacuum. It's a partial vacuum. Mm-hmm. So then you get a capsule or so the
1: idea is so it doesn't provide any resistance against the carriage right
0: yeah exactly so the idea yeah, exactly right because drag is one of the biggest things you're fighting um when you're trying to go really fast in earth's atmosphere unless you're you know well even if you're a plane right because in a plane it's one of those dichotomies on the one hand you need the air to give you lift on the other hand the air slowing you down so yeah it's frustrating It's a never-ending argument that the plane's having with the sky. But never mind that. Yeah. Yes. So that is a general idea. And you you have a capsule or a pod or whatever the hell you want to call it. You load that into the tube and you propel that along at high speed. It all seems very cool. But Elon uh, Musk originally suggested that it would sit on a bed of air. But if you mm-hmm. think about it, if you're already sucking all the air out, that's going to be pretty hard to achieve. So
1: Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's a, a, a little problem with that design.
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: I had, I had a toy when I was a child that sounds kind of like this thing.
0: Really? Uh, okay.
1: it, it, yeah, it was called a rocket tube. Okay. And it was, uh, you put it together, think of a, a racetrack, you know, you had pieces of track that you put together and yep. like an oval. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, an enclosed tube. The top of it was clear plastic. The bottom of it was dark colored. Okay. And uh, at one end of the, at one end of the loop, so you had like a an entrance into the loop, kind of like a pinball, where it, you know you have the thing that shoots the ball in. Yeah. Okay. So you got a loop with an appendage. At the end of the appendage was this big blower fan, and you had these little carriages that look like a coffin shape and you put that in the tube and then you fire that thing up and it had this really noisy fan but that little tube would shoot, or that little carriage would shoot around that tube <laughs>
0: Wow Cool it was, called,
1: it was called a rocket tube
0: Cool Man, that sounds really awesome actually I didn't have anything like that I don't even think I've ever seen anything quite like that but that sounds really cool
1: Well, I, I don't know, we had asked for a racetrack and that's what we got So <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, fair enough then. Well, that's pretty cool. So, this is like a bigger... But the next
1: year we got the... The next year we did get the racetrack. So, that was okay.
0: Oh, okay. Fine. So, you forgave the... Yes. (laughs) Nice. All right. Cool. I'm I'm
1: Googling the rocket tube now to see if I... Oh, my goodness. Don't Google rocket tube.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, then. So... Yeah. Okay. So, throw throw me a link. I can chuck that in the show notes. And uh, if you find what it was... Um,
1: if I find the real thing. <laughs> yes,
0: not not the other stuff you might be accidentally finding. Anyhow. So, yeah. Um, so, when they gave, he gave up on the idea of a bed of air, it's probably going to be maglev, right? So, magnetic levitation kind of thing. Um, and the idea is that you get a linear induction motor and that's going to accelerate at one end and decelerate the the pod at the other end and maybe have a couple of boosters along the way if you need it to keep the momentum going. Um. Because even at a very low uh, air pressure, you will still get a buildup in front of the pod that's going to slow you down. So the other concept was that you would have a, um, a high-speed uh, inlet suction fan at the front and mm-hmm. some some tubing to take that air to the back and then basically a, uh, a fan at the back to... Um, or air compressor, sorry, at the back to um, help. So that'll alleviate any pressure buildup in the front and provide additional... Um, Potentially propulsion, I suppose. Probably not much. Anyway, but the idea is that you wouldn't have a big motor on board, so you don't have to carry around fuel. You don't have to carry around an engine. Um, yeah, it'd probably be battery powered and and so on. So technically, it wouldn't be self propelled exactly. And yeah. Uh, anyway, so the original concept was that you'd have these uh, passenger only pods and the original dimensions in the original concept design was uh, something that would be uh, seven foot four inches, which is about 2.23 meters in diameter. and a projected top speed of a pod uh, was about 760 miles an hour, which is 1220 kilometers an hour, which is pretty pretty uh, pretty zippy. Um, the maximum acceleration is about half a G, which is you know not too bad. Um, not as much as your favorite roller coaster, but certainly you you'd notice. Um, now you compare that with the fastest passenger trains in the world they're the TGVs and they run at 357 miles an hour that's 575 kilometers an hour um, which is very fast but you know that's like half the speed of this thing. The mm-hmm. fastest maglev train if you want because that's steel rails, right but if you go to maglev yeah. you can go faster. The problem with maglev is there's not many passenger trains around the world that are maglev that are that fast. There are a couple of experimental ones on, that run on experimental tracks that's like proof of concept. And the, the Japanese maglevs at the moment, uh, the L0 series, hold the record at 375 miles an hour, which is 603 kilometers an hour, which is still half the speed of the uh, proposed uh, Hyperloop pods. But that was the original design. Anyway, um, there's three major companies building Hyperloop technology um, and none of them are really affiliated with Elon Musk or SpaceX. And um, Mm -hmm. SpaceX built a test track, uh, but they aren't actually developing the technology much beyond that. Um, So these three companies are just sort of doing their own things for their own reasons. But um, anyway, um, so that's the idea anyway. And, and, And the idea is that it would be, According to Elon Musk, quicker and cheaper than building a high speed train, which is what he was trying to get around. It's like, yeah, this is is the way to go. This is the future. This is a fifth mode of transportation. But the funny thing is, I was digging into this, I was sort of thinking about, okay, let's talk, let's think about some of the problems because it's not actually a new idea. There was actually a pneumatic. very short, short distance railway kind of subway system actually in London there for a little while. And there was one in the US as well back in the uh, the 19th century. Um, it's actually not a new idea. Mind you, not very fast and not very far. Uh, but anyway, it's not a new idea exactly. But um, anyway, so if we think it through, right, the pods, you're stuck in a steel tube and it's got to be a strong steel tube, which means no uh-huh. windows. So no windows on your pod, no no windows in the, the tunnel you're in. So you'd be in a, you'd be in a cylinder, a steel cylinder. So yep. you're not going to see much. Um, now there'd be, you'd be subjected inside that cylinder to a, I would say not insignificant amount of noise and vibration. Cause that high speed airflow that's going around the pod and mm-hmm. the, the air compressor and the inlet fan, that's going to be going to create some vibration and some noise. Um even in a partial vacuum, you know? So that's that's going to be interesting. So how you deal with evacuations, that's going to be a little bit problematic because you'd need to build emergency escape hatches and along the length of the tube every so many, um, you know, 100, 100 feet or whatever. Yeah. And every single connection, every one of them, every hatch, every join in those tubes needs to be very well sealed. Otherwise, your vacuum partial vacuum is not going to last um it'll just leak like a sieve because i kind of i thought about it it's kind of like um like a jumping castle in reverse so in a jumping castle um we gave up on the idea that you could seal every hole or every seam against every potential like little leak so, if you accept it's always going to leak, no matter what you do, you just continuously pump new air into the jumping castle to keep it inflated. So, when someone jumps on it, you might get a rush of air leak out of it because of the extra pressure. But generally speaking, like, if you, have you seen a jumping castle when it gets wet, like in the rain? You see, have you ever seen that, all the little air bubbles yep. coming up? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, these things, so air, so these things are always leaking because it's really, really hard to keep them fully sealed. So Hyperloop, I figure, would sort of be that, that same problem in reverse, which is you'd need to have dozens and dozens of air removal or extraction fans to try and keep that near vacuum maintained. Because if you didn't, eventually air from the outside would would be drawn into the tube and you would just get a lot of air in there and a lot of friction and it would just negate the whole value of it. Um, and I also think that... Um, given the distributed nature of the pipe work, it's a huge volume. You've got to evacuate all of the time of air. So you're going to need a lot of these extraction fans across the entire length of it. Yeah. So that's potentially problematic because um, they all, all of those will need power and, and so on. Anyway, so ignoring those common issues of a mechanical failure, right? So, you know the most likely failure of a pod would basically be rapid deceleration. If the tube was broken or kinked or bent or damaged, there's no derailment because there's no rails. Uh, But if you do have a rapid deceleration, which you could get on a high-speed rail, high-speed train if it went off the tracks, I suppose, and hit something, um, I guess that's a a positive because it can't go off rails, but still... Um, So, if it does actually get stuck or the pod gets damaged, what would happen if there's a depressurization of the pod? Because if you think about it, outside the steel tube is atmospheric pressure. Inside the tube is a vacuum, but inside the Mm -hmm. pod is atmospheric pressure. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So, if you actually got a leak in the pod and the pods inside the tube... Then the pod would. No, wanna... you're
1: going to have an experience like if your shuttle, your space shuttle, sprung a leak, aren't you?
0: Yeah, exactly. So if it lost its air supply, you're stuck in a steel tube without a breathable atmosphere, and the yeah. the pressure of the design was one millibar, which is a hundred pascals of pressure. That's nothing, because standard atmospheric is 101.325 mm-hmm. kilopascals, which is a thousand and thirteen yeah. millibars, right? Yeah. And a person can survive, a human being can survive down as low as 61.8 millibars, which is 6.18 kilopascals. So, that's mm-hmm. that's like 6,180 pascals. And this is only 100 pascals. So, there's no way a human could survive because at that level, the water in your boil, uh, in your blood uh, starts to boil. Yeah. Uh, and that's generally considered to be bad, painful, bad, and lethal as well. So, all three. Yeah. Um, and that, that Doctor limit...
1: Who just recently told me about that low boiling point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. You know, the, the funny thing is, it's actually called the Armstrong Limit and for the longest time, I thought that was named after Neil Armstrong because like, mm-hmm. he, he had something to do with space and walking on the moon and stuff, depending on who you speak yeah. to. But the point is, uh-huh. it actually wasn't. It was named after Harry George whoa, whoa, Armstrong. Whoa,
1: whoa, wait, 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 wait. Go back, go back. <laughs> so, uh, depending on who you speak to.
0: There are certain people... You're not, you- you're not one of those, are you? One of those what? Crazy people that say we didn't go to the moon. <laughs> Hell, we went to the moon, man. I, um, I love the I love okay. the photos of that lunar reconnaissance orbiter. With, I think it was a lunar reconnaissance orbiter. And they took photos, okay. high-risk photos of the surface. And it's like- I will can- allow
1: this to continue.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I, did, did we go to the moon? Yes or no? Come on.
1: I believe we did.
0: Yes, yeah, same here. So, that, this is the thing. But it's like you could see the tracks from the rovers that they, that the different landing sites had made. Yeah. And you could see the rover and you could see the flag just... And it's like all of the conspiracy theorists are like, oh, do no, they fake that? And I'm like, oh, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The world isn't real. We're all in the Matrix. Anyway, so...
1: Well, I just... I. If it had been a hoax and it was faked, I just don't think they could have really, truly kept it secret all this time. And I guess, obviously, with lots of, of people out there that, that don't believe it and, and speculate and, and postulate that, that we didn't, then there's definitely some doubt about it. But it just seems like we'd have some, some concrete evidence by now if, if it had been faked. I think some inconf- incontrovertible evidence that, that yeah. would prove could I think the, faked.
0: I think the truth of it is that um when it comes to faking stuff people are really bad at it you know yeah and 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 they do Well it and in this day
1: f- and age you plainly simply couldn't fake it. <laughs> just- no.
0: No you just you couldn't. But anyway, so not 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 wishing to debate that exactly, but um in yeah. any case good old Armstrong limit, okay? So this mm-hmm. is the this is the problem and it was discovered in the early days of the space program, right? So um So bottom line, if a human was exposed to the pressure inside a hyperloop tube without the pod to protect them, they'd die pretty quickly, you know, and pretty convincingly. So if there was a depressurization of the pod, you'd need to stop it, isolate the section of the tube that it was in, open an inward kind of airlock thing, like not like a blowout valve, but a blow-in valve, I guess, Mm -hmm. to let air in from the outside into that section of the tube. And you'd have to do it really, 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 really quickly Otherwise you'd have quite a few you'd have multiple fatalities. So that's not so good. Um anyway. Uh yeah, so uh, <laughs> it gets better. So um where do you put the tubes then? You've got a couple of options, really. Well, I got three options above the ground, below the ground or along the ground. So if you go along in the ground in the
1: ground seems safest to me.
0: Yeah, and that is actually one of the things we'll get to in a second actually, but going along the ground doesn't make the construction costs much different from roads, except you technically wouldn't need to make them as wide but, you know, or a railway trot line I guess. But you got to deal with cuttings. So I got to cut into the ground and, you know, mm-hmm. try and keep it level. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so that wasn't originally Musk's suggestion. He originally envisaged an elevated tube above the ground on pylons. But the problem with that is that elevated tubes um, are still expensive. And when the analysts Mm -hmm. first looked into it, they compared it and they said, well, elevated roads and elevated railways are more expensive than those along the ground. Therefore, so too would an elevated tube. But I think that's. Well, it
1: seems like kind of a vulnerable position for such a volatile system, too.
0: Yeah, that's also true. But I also think on the costing side of things, though, I don't necessarily agree with the analysis originally because. Um, these steel tubes should not be as heavy as a um, as a rail line with all of the the sleepers and the the ballast and you know all the mm-hmm. concrete and so on. So I think yeah maybe it's not quite you wouldn't need as uh, as big pylons and it would be as strong pylons. I would think you could probably save a bit of money there on foundations and stuff. But irrespective, I think probably under the ground is, is more what they had in mind. Um, and uh, yeah, so. With that in mind, if Hyperloop was going to go under the ground, there is one problem and that is tunneling is really expensive and it's really slow. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Elon Musk's next little venture, which is really boring. Um, so, before we do talk about that though, I just want to talk a little bit about our response for this episode and that's Many Tricks, and they're makers of helpful apps for the Mac who can do you guessed it many tricks and their apps include butler chemo leech desktop curtain time sync moon name mangler resolutionator and witch now, there's a lot to talk about for each app so we're going to touch on highlights for five of them uh which you should think about which as a supercharger for your command tab app switcher. If you've got three or four documents open at once in any one app, then which's beautifully simple pop-up quickly lets you pick exactly the one you're looking for. It was recently updated, so you can now also switch between tabs as well as apps as well as app windows with horizontal, vertical, or menu bar switching panels, text-based search for switching between windows, and much, much more. Name Mangler. Now, let's say you've got a whole bunch of files. You want to rename them quickly, efficiently, and in really big numbers. Name Mangler is great because you can create staged renaming sequences with powerful pattern matching, showing you the result as you go, as you build your sequence. And if you mess it up, you can just revert it back to where you started and try again. Moom makes it easy to move any of your windows to whichever screen positions that you want. Halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen, you name it, you can do it. And then you can save your favorite And recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto-arrangement feature when you connect or disconnect an external display. It's awesome. TimeSync. You can track your time in apps or activities on your Mac the simple and easy way with TimeSync. You can pool your apps by common activities, create custom trackers for non-Mac activities, and its simple and powerful reporting feature shows you exactly where your time went so you can plan better and stay focused. Resolutionator is so simple, it's a drop-down menu from the menu bar and you can change the resolution of whatever display you like that's currently connected to your Mac. The best part though, you can even set your resolution to fit more pixels than are actually physically there and that's very handy when you're stuck on your laptop and you need more screen real estate. And that's just five of their great apps. And that's only half of them. All these apps have free trials that you can download from manytricks pragmatic. And you can easily try them out before you buy them. They're all available from their website or through the Mac App Store if you prefer to buy your apps that way. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps. Exclusively for Engineered Network listeners, simply use the code pragmatic Seventeen. That's Pragmatic the Word and 17 the Numbers in the discount code box in the shopping cart and you'll receive 25% off. Now, this offer is only available to Engineered Network listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Thank you to Many Tricks for sponsoring the Engineered Network. So, I said the next bit was going to be a bit boring, Vic. Uh-huh. Do you get what I mean yet?
1: I think maybe.
0: Tunnel boring machines. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now, this is one of the things that I love. Who doesn't
1: love to drill a good hole?
0: Damn straight, man. Get out a shovel. Let's get cracking. I mean, the thing is, I love this about Elon Musk, right? And I also think it's scary. At the same time, it's a little bit millionaire syndrome um, where like where every random thought becomes something they sink millions of dollars into just because they can. And here we go. <laughs> so, stuck in traffic. This is the what happened, literally. In LA, one day- An annoyed Mm -hmm. Elon Musk sent the following tweets. Traffic is driving me nuts. I am am going to build a tunnel boring machine and just start digging. Now, I'm I'm assuming he wasn't driving at this point because that tweet went out at 11.05 p.m. on the 17th of December. Yeah. He then, this is 2016. This is literally only five or six months ago. He then follows it up about an hour and 10 minutes later, and he says, "Yeah, it shall be called The Boring Company. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I love this guy. And then, and
1: of course, he's got the budget to make this happen.
0: Yes, he does. So, a few more hours later, 2.17, he says, I'm ac- I am actually going to do this. So, those were the three tweets that were the beginning of The Boring Company, which is, just I I, I'm flabbergasted, right? It's like that's the stream of consciousness that comes out of Elon Musk's brain. And he's like, you know what? I'm a bit pissed with traffic. Let's just start a company to build tunnels. Why not? So- As you do. As as you do, right? Yes, of course you do. So, in February this year, the Boring Company had been formed and they actually began digging out the back of the SpaceX offices. In Los Angeles, because they could <laughs> without a <laughs> without a permit.
1: Do you really need a better reason?
0: Apparently not. I don't. So they started with a nine meter wide by fifteen meter long by four and a half meter uh, deep tr- um, testing trench, and then by April they bought a second hand tunnel boring machine so they could study the dynamics of how TBMs worked. Oh, man. So, they intend to build a new class of tunnel. By that, I just mean it's a tunnel, but different dimensions. And it's smaller. And Mm -hmm. the, the idea goes that if you make it smaller, then it's quicker to drill it, which is obvious. And therefore, it'll be cheaper to cut through the ground, which may or may not be true, but we'll just run with that for the minute. Now, I watched the TED Talk that Musk was interviewed. It wasn't more a talk as much as it was an interview. Uh, and that was in April. And uh, it was a great watch. There's a link in the show notes, really, really good. And you can, just, um, you can also get through the TED, TED Talk uh, app, which I've also got uh, some really good stuff in there. There's also it's a lot of dribble in there too, but there's some good stuff, <laughs> you know, filter out the dribble. Anyway, uh, and in April, he said that um, current road tunnels were required by legislation in America, at least, to be between 26 to 28 feet, which is eight and a half meters in diameter. And that's that's pretty reasonable. But the reason for that is because you need to have emergency response. You want to have more than one lane. Uh, and mm-hmm. he, he also said you needed ventilation for combustion engine vehicles. I like to think you need ventilation for the humans so they don't suffocate too. Just a thought. Anyway,
1: <laughs> you know. It's, it's just a detail.
0: Minor detail. That's it. Anyhow, uh, he then went on to say that the Boring Company were instead looking to build a 12 foot or three and a half meter diameter tunnel instead. So, that's not that big, you know? Yeah. So, if you halve the diameter, and this is the, the rough back of the napkin calculations that he's doing during the TED Talk. So, half the diameter leads to a quarter of the cross section that you have to cut through. Roughly correct, um, so good enough, which therefore means you should be able to cut four times faster. Well, that assumes that your cutting rate is linear, which it isn't, but it's probably close enough. So let's say maybe about four, maybe it's only three and a half times. It all depends. It depends on a lot of things, right? It depends on the kind yeah. of material you're cutting through. It also, there's the assumption that the material you cut through is, is consistent with, from the top to the bottom of the cutting face, so in any case, so another assumption, but that's okay. He then goes on about loading concrete segments behind the TBM to reinforce the tunnel wall, and he said that he you could do that more efficiently um, and increase this by a factor of two. I, I don't know about that one. I, that's an interesting one. So, um, how much do you actually how much do you know about TBMs, uh, Vic?
1: Uh, not much
0: okay well the basic concept is you have um, in the in the front of it you have a round wheel that's called the cutting head and then behind that mm-hmm. um, connecting that on you've got a series of hydraulic um, rams and then behind that um, you've got basically a casing section that expands uh, and essentially is your anchor or gripping point on the tunnel on the tunnel itself the tunnel wall yeah. So, behind that, you then have the car and the car itself is just sort of like a long chain of of, of, of rooms that's really got a, like electrical switch room, your motors, gearboxes, all that other rubbish. And then behind that, mm-hmm. um, you will have your um, reinforcing uh, handling section and then you've got your trailing mm-hmm. cables and your trailing cables go back to give you your electricity because it's all, it's all yeah. electric. Well, these days it is because it's too dangerous to run um, the the diesel it's much cleaner to run it on electric and the basic mm-hmm. idea is that so the car moves forward and stops in position where the hydraulic rams are fully re, um fully retracted uh, it yeah. then puts it then the hydraulics then drive the grip the the grips out onto the actual outside wall of the tunnel and then they start the cutting head turning and then and then they start very very slowly driving that cutting head um, into the con into the dirt the rock and dirt. And inside mm-hmm. the cutting head, there's several flutes. And the flutes basically direct all of that rubble down towards a central um, chute. And that central chute goes onto a conveyor. conveyor goes down through the, through the car, out the back, and out to the surface where the, where the, um, yeah. the rubble is stockpiled or carried away by trucks. So, I saw a
1: documentary about them building a big tunnel somewhere, I think, in Europe.
0: Yeah. Oh, TBMs... That,
1: that showed some of this.
0: Yeah, TBMs are really, really cool and I had the the great uh, fortune to work um, on a tunnel here in Brisbane uh, about a decade ago. It was the... Uh, at the time, it was called the North-South Bypass Tunnel but it was renamed the Clem 7 and this particular tunnel was 4.6 kilometers long and it went goes down under the Brisbane River and um, it was... There were two tunnels and um, two TBMs, northbound and southbound uh, mm-hmm. lanes and the uh it was, it was quite an education going through there cuz you basically go through all the mining regulations when you're building them uh you got to have all the usual things like you got to have self contained breathing apparatus training uh there's mm-hmm. there's these mining rescue rooms all sorts of you know stuff you got to go ventilation is everything and the stuff that they do in there because of tunnel construction is quite uh quite amazing really cuz you've got to they've got to extend the They've got to extend the conveyor belt to take out all the rubble. And they also have to have a supply chain of trucks feeding in all the concrete segments that they put in place after the tunnel's built to shore up the walls. So that's what he was talking about when he was saying, oh, yeah, well, you can get these concrete sections that um, reinforce the tunnel wall. And he reckons he could cut that by a factor of two. I suppose what he might have been referring to is the fact that those concrete segments usually come in quarters or halves. And the yeah. quarters are going to be obviously as heavy as like the size of the wall they're trying to reinforce. So, if it's a smaller wall area, then it's going to be lighter. And then maybe that means you can move them around more more nimbly and that'll reduce the amount of time it takes to fit them. That could be what he mm-hmm. meant. Uh, it's also if you have less arc, then I suppose the concrete itself would be thinner. So, anyway, bottom line is Factor of two, I think, is a bit presumptuous, but hey, you know, let's run with it. Um, he also claimed you could run TBMs harder than they already are. I have no idea if that actually makes any sense, but that's what he said. Um, anyway, so um, he I'm sure did, he'll find out. Yeah, I guess so. But the funny thing is, he he compared <laughs> he compared the speed of tunneling to how fast a snail moves. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen SpongeBob SquarePants?
1: Um, <laughs> a very few times. So, I don't know that I've ever seen an entire episode.
0: So, there's a pet snail called Gary, right? Okay. Okay. And what they've got is they've got a pet snail. <laughs> they've got a pet snail where they've dug the hole and they've called him Gary and their goal uh-huh. is to make a TBM that can go faster than Gary because right now TBMs the fastest TBM in the world is 14 times slower than Gary.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> this I love this guy. Anyway, so
1: So so let me let me let me make sure I understand this correctly. Yeah. Is in SpongeBob, they want to build the tunnel faster than Gary? <laughs> or is Elon Musk actually competing with Gary?
0: Um, Elon Musk and his tunnel boring machine are trying to compete with a fictional character. Yes. Okay. It makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, why, why not, right? As you do.
1: Who doesn't love in a, a good eccentric billionaire? <laughs>
0: damn straight, man. Damn straight. So, anyway... Um, bring on the Elon. Okay. So um, the goal I think is to then use these tunnels that they would build with the smaller diameter tubes for two kinds of transportation. Uh, the first one would be a, a dedicated mass transit car of sorts. They really just revealed this last week uh, or week before that. And it's kind of like a bus, but it's not a bus. Um, and it's, kind of like a tram but it's not a tram and it's all just very yeah okay you can't tell much from the renders other than it's they're thinking just yeah okay whatever i don't know how else to describe it think of it like a rectangular room with a couple of little knobby wheel things on the bottom and it goes into the tube and away it goes and it's like all right interesting but the one that he actually talked about in the ted talk wasn't that he said i was still working on it they need to work on it some more but anyway the idea is that they they have a sled And you drive a normal car onto the sled and the sled um, latches onto the vehicle. And rather than the vehicle propelling itself through the tunnel, the sled takes the car on a ride through the tunnel. So, the sled does all the work. It does the propulsion. And that way, you don't have any issues regarding how fast the car is capable of going. So okay yeah and the idea was he said oh about 125 miles per hour or 200 kilometers an hour because obviously you're only restricted by the speed of the sled and the and the amount of air pressure in the tunnel that you're trying to overcome uh, as opposed to the ability of the vehicle that it's carrying it's an interesting mm-hmm. it's an interesting idea but then of course it comes back to hyperloop you could also use the tunnels for hyperloop um, because the tunnels could be operated in a partial vacuum because if you build a tunnel, to survive the water table, you can build a tunnel uh, to survive a partial vacuum because the amount of pressure yeah. from a partial vacuum is in fact less than that uh, that's required to survive the water pressure from the water table. Yeah. yeah. So all of that kind of makes sense and you can see how Hyperloop can fit together with the whole tunnel boring thing. And I actually, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, before I get to my opinion on that though, I want to talk a little bit about the sled idea which is the one he went on about the TED Talk. Now, if you take a car, and let's just take a Tesla Model S, right? Because, well, that's Alan's car. Um, uh, Anyway, it's about two meters wide. It's quite a wide car, five meters long, one and a half meters high. And that puts about a gap of about 75 centimeters or 30 inches on each side of the vehicle to the tunnel wall. But if you assume that you lose nine or 10 centimeters on each side of the sled... Um, because you know, you've know you got to have the car encapsulated within the sled, you've got wing mirrors, you've got to make sure that um, it's capable of fitting different width vehicles. Assume you're going to you know have a couple of guardrails on the side to, pe- to prevent people from opening their doors accidentally during high-speed yeah. travel, a whole bunch of other safety things and such. You're probably going to lose a bit of clearance there. So I'd say you're probably looking at about 55 centimetres, that's about 21 inches on each side. So about two feet max, you know, Maximum. Yeah. However, (laughs) you got to then take into account wall curvature. And you really actually, if you take that wall curvature out, then it's less than that again. So, maybe 18 inches.
1: It's like- It's a tight squeeze.
0: Yeah. So, you really don't have that much space to walk up and down as an escape route. So- the other thing is with tunnels is that TBMs make tunnels that are round because, well, they just do. <laughs> if anyone can come up with a square cutting head, let me know. But anyway, so these um, tunnels, uh, they typically will have a culvert in the bottom, which is you know mm-hmm. basically just like they'll flatten the bottom and create a space underneath that flat spot. They'll do the same at the top sometimes, and they'll have that for um, like smoke extraction. So uh-huh. you imagine you round circle, and it's sort of like clipped with a flat spot on the top and a flat stop on a flat spot on the bottom. And yeah. your car sits in the middle on a sled. You got a bit of space either side with a slightly curved wall, and uh-huh. that would be the design. But the idea is that the uh, the culvert at the bottom, you could put cabling. Um, you could put the sled or guide system for the sled, whatever it might be, the acceleration technology, whatever it might be, if it's cable, if it's maglev or magnetic or whatever the hell it is, right?
1: I vote for the maglev.
0: <laughs> Everyone wants the maglev. Anyway, so yes, I totally want one. Anyway, so um the thing is he he did say Musk also said you needed to extract the exhaust from combustion engine vehicles. Uh, but obviously, you've still got to evacuate people. You've got to evacuate smoke in the case of fires, and even in the case of a normal vehicle, you still need it—the um, car, people in the car—to be able to breathe air. So, by cutting the size of that tunnel down, you don't eliminate yeah. the requirement for having airflow. You might reduce some of it, but unless you're going to restrict those tunnels to being used by electric vehicles only that don't ha- don't create exhaust. Which, you know, that yeah. could be an option. Maybe that, that'll be the rule. But if you're going to have combustion engine cars in there, you would have to tell them to turn their engines off while they're on the sled so they didn't produce, yeah. you know, exhaust. Because you've cut back the amount of ventilation you've got. So, yeah. I don't know. That one's a bit iffy. You'd need to think that one through and how you would enforce that if you were going to let combustion vehicles in there. Anyway. So, the other thing is when tunnels for vehicles are built these days, typically... Why have one when you can have two twice the price so what they'll do <laughs> government sp- <laughs> government spending right uh-huh uh- <laughs> hey do you know what movie i I, I pulled that one out of
1: uh, I do not
0: uh, I was out of contact um. Because, anyway, never mind. Um, so, yeah, why have two when you, one, you. when you have two, twice the price? So, um, you'll, they typically will dig two tunnels, one next to each other. And in the case of the north-south bypass tunnel, one was the northbound tunnel, one was the southbound tunnel. And each of the tunnels are built in a, as a parallel pair and you have a cut through between the tunnels every, so however many hundreds of feet. And you then, you they have these machines called a road header and the roadheader is kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's got one or two or three um, spinning knuckles on the end of a, an extendable arm, kind of like a crane, but manu- more maneuverable. And it basically just punches into the dirt and rock wall and just pulverizes it and, and gouges holes in it. So they'll use a road header to dig these between them. And then they'll you know do um, quick set um, shotcrete or whatever onto it. And that'll basically solidify and hey, presto, you've got an emergency escape now, so you can now go from the northbound to the southbound tunnel via these emergency exit ways. In some cases, they will actually have a mini boring machine that runs a third tunnel between the two major road tunnels as an escape route. So the other option might, of course, be that if, you know, Musk has a bunch of these tunnel boring machines, maybe the answer is we're not allowing for too much pedestrian access because you only need to get to the escape tunnel and they'll just bore two or three or four tunnels next to each other. So, maybe that's yeah. maybe that's their intention. I don't know. But all I do know is that I think it's sort of conflating um, when he sort of like said, oh, yeah, you don't have to... You got to have all this extra room for escape uh, emergency vehicle access and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well... I'm not sure that making the tunnel smaller is really the right solution because you're going to end up building more tunnels in parallel at the same time. So, I'm not sure it's a net yeah. win. But anyway.
1: might be more efficient to just build one larger tunnel.
0: Well, maybe that's the point, right? So, I don't know. I'm not sold on it. Anyway, it certainly should be quicker to go with multiple tunnels in parallel. Um, but in a sense, that's is that the right answer? Is that cheating? I'm not sure. But anyway... Um, Bottom line though with the size of these tunnels, there's no way you can fit two vehicles in the same tunnel side by side. They're just too small. Um, so it's one vehicle, which means there's no bidirectional tunnels, there's no overtaking, no bypass line for your sleds. Um, if you mm-hmm. you know, so when you get on, so like how do you get on, how do you get off? It it has to almost has to be point-to-point. Point. So it's not like yeah. you can have like a network that you can switch between. It's like you gotta pick this tunnel to go from point A to point B and you just can't go off anywhere else in between. Things get complicated if you want to do that. Anyway, other problems are the the side rails for the safety for the doors and you don't want people opening doors when they're moving. How do you enforce that? Um, Anyway, Um, but they also, if you did have restraints like that around the vehicle to keep the vehicle in place, they have to be retractable so that people can open the doors if they do need to escape if there's an issue. So, you know, other than that, it's like climb out the window. I don't know. That's, yeah. That's a problem. Um, yeah. So, I've talked about banning combustion engines. Um, the sleds would need to be maintained and flexible for the different lengths of different vehicles. So that vehicles, are, you know, like a hum- Hummer might be quite longer. Maybe they won't. Yeah. Maybe stretch limos are out, probably. But that's probably not a big problem unless you're in Los Angeles. Anyway, Then there's the loading mechanism. And that's the other thing that I thought was really bizarre. They had this demo. It's like it was a render, you know, 3D rendered video kind of thing, you know, like computer CGI. And it showed a car driving onto a platform that looked like it was a car park on the side of the road. So, literally a car Mm -hmm. space. And you drive onto this thing and then it would sink majestically into the ground and disappear from view. And I'm like, that's really dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like everyone in the audience is probably thinking, "Oh, that's so cool," and all I'm thinking is the engineer in me. That is so dangerous because well, what... that's
1: not what I was expecting. I was I was expecting you to describe something kind of like a, a ferry loading ramp or something.
0: Well, that would actually make more sense and be safer because if it's a hole yeah. in the ground, what's going to stop people from falling in when the elevator is going down? Yeah. What, what what happens when some idiot drives onto it with a car that's too big and the elevator goes down and then the car's beached? Uh, What happens if the car is too far, the forward or the back and it gets stuck? Car elevators aren't popular for a very good reason because they tend to get stuck. (sighs) I mean, there's a simplicity to having a
1: hole. Some bonehead forgets to put his car in park.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I like the simplicity of a hole in the ground and a road that slopes slowly down into that hole. Mm -hmm. You can fence the sides, you can fence the top. There's no moving parts and there's nothing that can break. And it's like, if the car gets stuck in a small tunnel, how do you get the car out? Like imagine the sleds halfway along the tunnel. How do you get the car out? You can get the people out through through a parallel tunnel, but how are you going to get the car out?
1: That's a good question. (sighs)
0: So I've talked about clean air. And the thing with tunnels is tunnels, tunnels don't have clean air in them. You get yeah. you get free clean air. Well, at least for the moment, you do. It's not taxed. I'm waiting for that at some point in the future. But anyhow, um, like in Druidia. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> but you know, seriously though, like you're walking around the street, you drive around the street, you haven't got a problem with ventilation. All right? you're out in the open air. There's not a problem. As soon as you dig a tunnel, there is a risk of engulfment. The uh, the risk of collapse there's increased yeah. risk of fire and yeah. you got the issue of, of clean air because it's confined mm-hmm. space. So anyway, digging a network of underground tunnels from a greenfield point of view, like as in there's no tunnels there yet, there's nothing under there yet, it's a walk in the park, no problem. But once you've done it and it's locked in place and built, it's really hard to modify it. See, Because you can widen roads... But you can't easily widen tunnels because, yeah. I mean, think about it. You've got to take away your tunnel reinforcing. What are you going to do? Like point the tunnel, a bigger tunnel boring machine in the same hole? No, you're not. You can't cross the tunnel without destroying the tunnel. You can't get too close mm-hmm. to the sides of an existing tunnel or it might collapse. Yeah. So, what are you going to
1: do? No, you really got to think that through ahead of time.
0: Yeah, you do. And, of course, they won't because town planners are still town planners and it's hard to get it right because you can't tell the future you don't know what you're going to want to do in 50 or 100 years you can guess but you won't always get it right in fact i pretty much guarantee you'll never get it all right so anyway the only advantage i can think of is the is the one that he actually that he did cite in there which is basically you can build in three dimensions without any trouble you don't need to worry about pylons and anything else you're not restricted to two dimensions like you are the road on the surface but that's pretty much it. And the more I think about it, tunneling for Hyperloop makes more sense to me than a sled with a car on it that has a bazillion things that could go wrong with it, like more wrong with it than Hyperloop. Yeah. So I don't know. I do think, um, to be honest, I do think it actually is a great idea to develop tunneling technology that's faster and more efficient. Absolutely. Yes. But I'm not sure at the expense of tunnel size and rescue, uh, rescue ability. I don't know if that's a word, but anyway, um, being able to rescue people—that's not a compromise you should be making, you know. And having worked in tunnels, like I said, with the North-South Bypass, I mean, when they're being built, they are hot, they're noisy, they're humid, they're dangerous. You know, it's it's yep. it's not a pleasant working environment. Building these things, believe me. And um, I don't know, and their cost at the moment, I guess, drives down their commonality. So because they're so expensive, they don't make many of them. It's a very much a uh, a specialist occupation. Because when I was working on the uh, on the Clam Seven uh, under construction, I was there. There were people from Germany, there were people from um, the Netherlands, uh, people from uh, Sweden, and you know, they were all tunnelers. They'd, they'd done tunnels their entire career. And there's one guy who said, oh, this is a baby tunnel. I'm not going to try and do his accent. But yeah, he said, this, this, <laughs> this, this tunnel is a baby tunnel. Oh, hang on. I said I wasn't going to do his accent. Anyway. So, he told me it was a baby tunnel because uh-huh. his record tunnel was like 20 kilometers long and this one was 4.6 kilometers. So, this is a baby tunnel. Like, oh, it's always I about this tunnel aside. in my sleep always about the size for some people anyway all right (laughs) the point is i
1: dig this tunnel in my sleep
0: (laughs) well the funny thing is i was speaking to um another guy who was um he was younger though he was only like late 20s and we were all getting in the um the go-karts because they had you know like um they they were electric go-karts and then there were the um um the work the gas powered ones and because you didn't want to drive utility vehicles, pickup trucks down there as often as you wanted because of the width constraints. Because when the tunnel's done, you've got the conveyor along the side and that conveyor takes up a lot of space. And the right-hand side, so the left-hand side was the conveyor, the right-hand side, you had a whole bunch of electrical wiring and patching and, and, and stuff. So the actual culvert, once it went down, you could drive on it, of course, but you, if you drove a ute down there, um, it was quite wide as a vehicle and there wasn't very much room if you had to get a car out in the other direction while the tunnel was under construction. It was really, really narrow and quite dangerous and difficult. So, they had um, a lot of those stop, stop, um, ugh, you know, those stop, uh, automatic stop and traffic lights. Um, uh-huh. You know, like the, the portable ones on the side of the road for roadworks. They had like three or four of these um, checkpoints in the tunnel because it was just too narrow. Um, so a lot of people preferred the uh, the little worker mule kind of things and uh, little golf carts. So anyway, we got on this golf cart to go down into the tunnel down to the towards the uh, to the TBM just past the low point, and um, he he was started walking, and I sort of I said to him, "Don't you want to take one of these?" It's like it's a three kilometer walk, and he said, um, "In all the years he had been building tunnels, he preferred to walk because when you walk, you can see the problems. When you're in the a vehicle, you don't see problems as well." So he said you every go by single. too quick. Sorry.
1: Because you go by too quick.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you're not going yeah. fast. The speed limit's ten kilometers an hour. So what's that? Seven miles an hour. Yeah, speed but load. it's
1: still you, you. You really you can stop and look around when you're walking.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that was his point. So every single day he walked the tunnel twice. And I said, when it gets closer to being done, that's a long walk. He said, no, nah, not well. <laughs> So, anyway, um, so, building tunnels, I think the more they make, um, the numbers are going to push up the exposure to the risk because digging tunnels is dangerous. And you can dig through pretty much anything, but you can't dig through everything and expect a clean result. You know what I mean? Like digging through a layer of soft peat and mud and slush is a very different proposition to drilling, tr- trying to drill through bedrock or trying to th- uh, drill through a layer of chalk. Um, yeah, rather famously, I think the um, uh, the channel, the, so the, the channel tunnel between the United Kingdom and France, um, they actually very specifically drilled through the chalk layer and the chalk layer went all over the place. It went up and down and up and down, you know, just it's like geological fault lines or something. Electrical engineer, not geologist. But anyway, the liney bits of the chalk under the ground, them bits. They uh-huh. followed them bits. And they did that because it was so much faster to to drill and tunnel through chalk than it was to try and go through anything harder. You know, like, like granite or basalt or God knows what else, right? So... You can't just. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, you can drill in three dimensions. Well, yeah, you can, and no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, and there are there are many many cases where these TBMs get stuck, and they got to back them up and and do micro blasting around um, the hard boulders in order to break them up, so the TBM can get through. You know, it's not it's not all plain sailing. So I do think that the more that they drill, if they do pull this off and they do come up with a high speed, small diameter TBM, I think the problem is going to then become a lot about how accurately you can point them, how well you can plan them and during construction, how much more exposure, if you've got hundreds of these going off at once, how many more injuries and fatalities are they going to be tunneling through stuff that they shouldn't because once you can go faster, people deploy faster and then there's a higher exposure to that safety risk. So I'm not, I'm not. I guess I'm just not sold on it. I I think I'm. I'm interested to see what they actually build. Um, I, I mm-hmm. think it's a fascinating idea. I think it's a it's an interesting idea. I also question though, how many people would actually be like to use their sled and trust their vehicle on a sled. You know, in a in a yeah. tunnel, confined space. I don't know. What do you reckon?
1: Uh. I th- I think that there will be people that are skeptical of it. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of people that'll enjoy it, though.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think the it's, there's the novelty and there's the practicality, you know? And, yeah. I mean, flying cars is just a stupid idea because um, of all the extra energy that it takes to keep something off of the ground. Um, yeah. And in addition, gravity sucks <laughs> or more accurately attracts. But anyway, yeah, and and that's a problem, right? So, if you're on ground level, you can't fall. If you're in the air and you're above the ground, you can fall. Well,
1: that's not entirely accurate, but... (laughs) Well,
0: you can fall, just not as far. Yeah. But, you know, although some of those overpasses, geez, like that Dallas five ways thing, yikes, that's high. But anyway, um, generally speaking, you're on the ground, you can't fall far. But, you know, with, with tunnels, you can't fall. For the same rationale but you can work in three dimensions but the the other problem is the opposite which is how do you get up to the surface in an emergency if you're on the surface you're already there no problem so i don't know i i just i guess i'm just not sold on it i think it's a fascinating idea i also think it's kind of crazy the fact that Elon musk just has this random thought how he's pissed off about traffic one day and then he tweets (laughs) he's going to start a company to solve the the drilling problem and then he does And now they've Mm -hmm. bought a TBM and they're playing with it. And that's like, okay. As you do. (laughs) As as you do when you're, when you're rich, I guess. But I don't know. I just, from a, from a, from a pragmatic point of view, I think that tunnels aren't the answer. And I don't think they're the best answer either. I think that tunnels have got a lot of compromises and, and I love the name of the company, the boring company. That's so funny. Um, It's not boring at all. It's absolutely fascinating. But whether or not it actually helps a hell of a lot or whether or not it's just a a very small slither of a piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we'll see. But anyway. All righty. Well, if you'd like to... If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on mastodon at chigi at engineered.space or you can follow engineered underscore net on twitter to see announcements about all the shows on the engineered network and you can find that at engineered.network causality has really taken off recently it's a solo podcast that i do that looks at cause and effect of major events and disasters in history so if you're a fan of this show you might like it too so be sure to check that out uh if you'd like to get in touch with uh vic what's the best way for them to get in touch with you mate
1: uh they can find me on twitter at vic hudson one
0: awesome that's the way and if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network please use the feedback form on the website that's on the little email icon the letter icon that's if you're ever wondering what that is that's what that is and uh, that's where you'll also find show notes for this episode uh, this episode was also brought to you by Many Tricks, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember to specifically visit this URL, ManyTricks, all one word dot com slash pragmatic, for more information about their amazingly useful apps. They're awesome. Make sure you check them out. Now, if you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can. Like some of our backers, Ivan. Daniel Dudley and Chris Stone, they and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon, and you can find that at patreon.com slash John all one word. So, if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, whatever you like, it's all very much appreciated. So, a special thank you to our patrons, a big thank you to everyone for listening, and as always, thank you, Vic.
1: Thank you for having me, John.
0: Anytime. Now, let's start digging.